Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Welcome back to the Operator Podcast. Episode 46 is here, post-Memorial Day. And uh, thank you for joining me. I hope you had a blessed Memorial Day. I know I did. I I went up to Cape Cod and I played some golf at Cape Cod National, which uh, I had a, I don't know if I told you this, I had a, my psychiatrist when I got out of the Navy said, what are you going to do now that you're out? And I said, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like skydiving anymore. I'm, I'll shoot a little bit. I don't know. Um. I'm not going to drive fast cars. I don't know. She said, well, you need a hobby to um, relieve stress. And so she told me to golf. Now, I don't know on what fucking planet uh, golf relieves stress, but I started it. I uh, started playing. It's a difficult game. It's, I think it's easier when you first start because you don't take lessons and you just hit the ball. Like, just hit the ball. It's sitting right there. But uh, I took lessons um, and I got worse. I think the more lessons I take, the worse I get. And... I uh, I went back to the same psychiatrist a few weeks later, and I said, what the hell was that all about? Pick up golf to relieve stress. And she said, oh, I forgot to add this. Don't keep score. I guess her point was um, just get outside. Get outside and walk, get some vitamin D, which is good. And I do love golf. And it's just it's so funny to, to sit there and realize, like I said, the ball's not moving. And for hundreds of years, engineers have been designing these clubs to work. And for some reason, I just can't let them work. Just let, let the thing work. You don't. Golf's one of those games where the slower you swing, the further the ball goes. And when you swing down, the ball goes up. It's completely not normal, but I went golfing. And it was awesome. Got to hang out with some friends and family. Cape Cod. It's awesome. And uh, now it's back to work. Um, what, did you, what did you guys do? Anything, anything exciting? Hit me up in the comments, if you will, with uh, what, what you got into or, or um, what you want to talk about. At Makuya on either Instagram or Twitter. I rarely read Twitter because they're just rude. I say some stuff on Twitter and sometimes people don't like it. But Instagram, um, at Makuya or at The Operator Podcast is a better one because people seem to be very, very nice. on, uh, on in- Not very nice on Instagram, but sometimes they're, they're nice. Um, and then, what else? I was looking around on Memorial, Day, on, on Memorial Day weekend. This is just an odd story. I guess they're in San Clemente, which is out uh, in California, which is a Marine Corps base. Some Marines, three Marines, were enjoying the festivities, if you will, out on a public beach. And uh, what's only being described as a group of teens were blasting off fireworks, which is fine. You do you. Um, 
but I guess some of the shrapnel, if you will, <laughs> uh, some of the bombs are bombs. Some of the uh, fireworks hit some of the Marines in that. Uh, here's the story. They went over to them, and they politely, and again, if you weren't there, you only know what you were told. I was told they went over there politely and asked these group of teens. I love how they say that, this group of teens. No descriptions because they're, they're minors. And some young adults. So a group of teens and some young adults. And the Marines, I guess, asked them to stop blasting off these, uh, this ordinance, if you will. And uh, they didn't like it. So the Marines were walking away, and I guess one of them... One of the Marines got sucker punched by one of the teens, and then they you know, turned into a melee. They jumped on top of them. The two of the Marines were, were beating pretty good, fetal position type stuff. A lot of that's going on on the, uh, on the Internet, too. You ever see that, that sucker punch, and then a lot of these young dudes just attack in packs? I don't know. That's, I mean, that's just, that's just weak sauce right there. And you got to wonder, why is that? Why are they doing that? I mean, it goes, it goes back to, uh, I think it goes back to the family life, the parenting, the shitty parenting. I think that they, uh, you know, again, I think, I personally think it could be a desensi- desensitivity to, uh, they're not sensitive because of a lot of video games they play and the violence is all over the internet. And, and it's not everywhere. But on the internet, you're going to find a lot of stuff. And it's even people, <coughs> even people filming, <clears throat> excuse me. Even people filming each other to try to get uh, clicks and likes just to get more TikTok followers or whatever, get more likes on Instagram or whatever um, whatever uh, platform they're on. And they just, it, like these sucker punches come out of nowhere and then the gang of whomever just jumps on these people and starts beating the crap out of them. And uh, it, I think it's a, it's a parenting thing. It's a schooling thing. This is a result of not being able to discipline anybody. Like if you, even if a parent disciplines his kid, um, they're going to get, um, the cops are going to get called on them probably by the kid. And then the, you know, they get in trouble. You can't do anything in schools. You see these videos of, um, punks beating up their teachers, which, you know, it's, it's, it's just, a, it's a sad state of affairs. And again, it's not, it's not everywhere. Like I said, the, the, um, violence and bad news gets the rating. So that's what you're going to see. But my, my mom's a teacher and, and she, she talks about her kids in class and like they, sometimes they can't come to class cause they're having an emotional day. Because uh, and they'll throw COVID in there, the lockdown. We're just not back and just can't handle this. Whatever, just um, you know, pussification of the United States, and then you know, group group beatings and stuff like that. But those Marines got beat up, and I, I'm actually kind of curious to see what's going to happen, the aftermath, because the Marines are there, and Marines are tough, and and uh, not that I'm saying go get vengeance, but I, I bet where they got beat up, you'll see a lot more Marines hanging out. And they'll be looking for young adults. <laughs> not that they're not always, but it's just messed up that people feel a um, a desire to just beat each other for no reason, especially when you're just a, just a young punk like that that you don't know any better and you're just gonna do that. So that's me. I've never personally experienced that, and I'm happy. I don't. I don't. I'm not a big. I don't like the uh, the just, uh, fighting in the street stuff too because it, it can get really bad really quick. You don't know. Who you're up against if, if you get in like a stupid bar fight or a grocery store fight or someone yells at you for not having a mask and it gets or they, like they used to or you get banned from an airline per se. Uh, you don't know what someone else has and you don't know what someone else knows. And there's no reason to get in a fight. It's not going to solve anything. Say you're good at fighting and you, um, you, you, you do a takedown and you slam some dude's head off the ground and kill him. Was that worth it? Because you're going to prison. 
or say the dude that uh, you're fighting knows more than you do, and he just whips your ass and breaks your arm. You, was that worth it? Or he stabs you, or he shoots you. You know, that's just not worth it. But there was a there was a thing in uh, right near Baltimore, if you can believe it, where there was a. Um, I guess there was a fight at school, and I think the kid in the fight was a, like a twelve year old. Don't know the whole story, but he went home and he he decided he didn't you know he doesn't want to fight, and that's that's cool. I don't think he should want to fight. Um, but some uh, the guys he fought brought I think three of them and two adults to the house, to his house, and uh, they, you know, they they want to beat his ass, and and uh, the kid's not going to go outside, and his father said, well. I, uh, I'm not going to allow this to happen. So he went outside to talk to him. And I guess what these five individuals <laughs> did, or individuals or pack, they said, well, either your son's coming out to fight or you're going to fight. And, uh, you know, there was obviously a uh, disagreement, and the pack jumped him, and they beat his ass, knocked him out, and then they kept beating him as he was knocked out a few, uh, few more stomps to the head, if you will, and they killed him. What the hell is that all about? You just you, you you got some punk kids that want to fight some kid, and then his dad comes out and says, "No, we're not doing." It. And then they kill him. Not worth it. But people get arrested here and there. But nowadays, because a lot of these uh, um, district attorneys and whatnot that are out there that just will let you out, you don't need to pay. You don't need to pay bail. <laughs> you don't need to pay bond for whatever. You just you get out, and so there's no. Um, no repercussions. Uh, no, no, nobody gets punished, and it's all just. And if you, if you do, like, say for example, those Marines fought back in San Clemente and whooped the shit out of six of those kids, then they're going to be in trouble. It's like the dude on the, um, on the subway that just stands up for people and chokes a kid out and kills him. I mean, what? That's I'm not justifying that either. But I've, you know, I've been on subways before, and I've seen some of the loons. I used to live in Midtown Manhattan, and you see some crazy shit. I'm not getting involved personally, and I, and I think now that. Uh, more of this is going on where people are actually getting in trouble and becoming famous because of standing up for people. And then uh, it turns into, you know, the the people that are out there that are getting paid to be fanatics, to uh, protest, to scream, to jump in front of trains, to stop them, all that shit, they're going to come out and, you know, why would you want to be a part of that? If it's just going to turn bad on you, like like even defending yourself, you can get in trouble. And, and we've seen a lot of it. And then the Al Sharptons of the world and the... Uh, George Soros funded people of the world that are. I mean, you don't see those dudes come out when there's le- like legit problems. It's always it's always a race baiting. It's always something with uh, with the cops. It's it's never uh, some of the crime that happens in Philly or in Atlanta or in in uh, Chicago. They're not they're not running out there trying to save people's lives and be the hero. No, but they sure will uh, shake down a legitimate business so they can get their pockets lined. I mean, it's just it just sucks. But anyway, uh, not not getting too. Um, too rough on post Memorial Day. I had a good Memorial Day. Like I said, I golfed. That was about it. There's no fights at the golf club. There should have been a fight. I'm pretty sure I hit somebody with a with a with a golf club. But that's um, yeah. So uh, let me know what you were up to. We can talk about that. That'll be fun. Um, golf, driving. I didn't go, I didn't go to the airport for the first time in. Uh, this is the first week I haven't been to um, to an airport in years, and it's glorious. I didn't realize how much of a pain in the ass it is getting in the car, driving to the airport, going through security. I actually got busted. Uh, this is kind of a funny story. Uh, I, I think I, I travel so much I get cocky. I'm that guy that is in TSA pre or I go through clear, and then I'll be the guy that, um, you know, I, I don't talk shit, but I like mutter someone if he forgets to take his uh, 
his belt buckle off or, or he's got metal in his boots or whatever. And, and I, you know, because I see it all the time. I see it every single day, and I think I know how to get through security. And sometimes you need a little humility. There's nothing wrong with being humble. You need, sometimes you need to be brought down a peg or two because I've always said that uh, the TSA, like we'll bitch at them as passengers because I have to deal with the TSA, but you got to figure they deal with us. Every single day. That's our eight-hour job dealing with passengers all the time. And there are a few things. I think the true colors come out in transit. Like, people are normally good to each other unless they're funded by leftists. But um, people suck in transit, right? And I'll prove it to you. How much do you hate the cyclists? Oh, you know who I'm talking about. Hate the cyclists. Everybody in a car hates the cyclists. However, if you're a cyclist, how much do you hate the cars? If you're in a car, how much do you hate the pedestrians? But the pedestrians hate the cars because they're not looking. No one's looking. In an airport, we hate each other because you're just trying to get to where you're going. In traffic, especially in New York, those horns go off. People are yelling at each other. The, the horns are actually a language in New York, and people are communicating with each other. But, but uh, if you're on the street, uh, if you're dry, look, I know you have the right of way when you're walking as a pedestrian when the thing turns right. Don't be afraid to look both ways. I know if you're crossing a one-way street, you only need to look one way. Look the other way because now they have those, I think they're cheating, but they have those uh, electrical bikes that go about 40 miles an hour. They're, they could be coming the other way. Just look. Don't. There's nothing wrong with saving your own life. You can get, yes, I have the right of way, but that was a bus that smashed me. People die every day doing that crap. <clears throat> but, I mean, the point I'm making, though, is... Um, in transit, we don't like each other. And unless you stop and talk to each other. That's, that's fun. Like, uh, I, um, if you're walking through the, the airport, people don't like each other. Like, like you know who the, the, the dude that stands on the, on the moving walkway, the moving sidewalk? Just walk. <laughs> yeah, okay. But we get mad at them. However, if you run into them um, somewhere else, at a restaurant, at the bar or whatever, you, and you start talking to people, then you get along because you're no longer in transit. You're actually having a meal or having a drink or whatever. I actually, one of the funniest things I ever heard, I think I brought this up before, I ran into a dude at an airport during football season last year, and I used to be a Washington Redskins fan. Now I'm a man without a team. But uh, we're watching football, and we order beers. I don't know the guy. And he said, uh, who's your team? I said, I don't have a team. He goes, me either. I was a Redskins fan. I was like, yeah, me too. And he goes, well, why are you watching? I said, I play fantasy football. And he goes, I do too. And I, I really don't want to lose this game or this season because I lost last year. And I tell you what, I'm not going through that punishment again because you know how fantasy football, they always have something that they do to the loser. The loser always has um, you have a, not a prank, but you have to do something like wear a dress and stand out front and say, I suck at fantasy football. The guy said, uh, yeah, last year I had to. Uh, I lost the league, and I had to take uh, the SAT. So it was a group of lawyers. <laughs> the loser has to go take the SAT, and he's like, "Yeah, we have to finish in the in the top one percentile." And I'm a 35 year old attorney in Washington D.C., and I had to take that son of a bitch three times. So that's a funny thing. He said uh, one of the guys that lost the rule was he had to become a yellow belt in Taekwondo, which is awesome. Because that's not jujitsu, that's taekwondo where you're taking it with children and you have to go for five classes to get a yellow belt. So that's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, um, so the, the point I'm making is uh, go- going through security, going through transit, and uh, I don't know, I was having an off day. I was thinking about something. I was mad about something, I'm sure. <clears throat> and um, I'm walking through security, obviously bad-mouthing people who forgot to take whatever. 
And it's TSA pre too. That, that's is why I get that's why I get more arrogant because you're supposed to know what you're doing. TSA pre is the one where you can keep your shoes on, and um, you can keep your computer in your bag, and they're pretty generous about everything. Um, now, if you wear cowboy boots, and this is for the people in TSA pre behind me that think they know more than I do, I have to take my boots off because there's nails in them. So I'll take my boots off, put them in the bin, and someone behind me will go, this is TSA pre, you don't need to do that. And I don't feel like explaining thank you. I fly 300 times a year, uh, but thank you. I just say there's nails in the boots, and they'll say, oh, there's nice boots. I'm like, you're goddamn right, they're nice, because I don't wear shit boots. Anyway, um, I took the boots off. Everything's good to go. And I walked through, but I, I was wearing a belt buckle. I forgot to take it off. Bink. So I get tinged. And it's like, son of a bitch, I deserve this. So I take the belt off. And then there's something else. I have a, I have a, a bracelet from uh, St. Croix. And I didn't know this. You might not know this. That if, 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 if it's connected in metal, it'll set it off. But if you unconnect it, it won't set it off. Weird. But uh, that set it off. And I'm like, okay, this I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm talking shit. I deserve it. I Whatever. And then... I'm waiting for my bags to come out, and then my bag comes through, and then it jacks over, and it goes down to the uh, to the end. So now I'm going to get extra screening because the way that I picture it is, um, I think I I'm I'm by no means bad mouthing TSA. I'm just saying I think they're taught to look for stuff that doesn't belong, and I mean like they're taught to look for shampoo or apple juice or orange juice. They're taught to look for a bottle of water. They're not taught to look. For a threat, for a gun, I don't. I don't think that maybe they are. I don't know, but I know they. They always, they always bang me up when I forget to, you know, t- take the uh, orange juice out when I forget to do that. But the, the bottle. Oh, sorry, the bottle. The, the the bag goes over. It comes down, and I'm, you know, I'm not late for a flight. I like to get there early or whatever because I, I I love American Airlines clubs. I'm gonna chill out in there, get the uh, the um, Wi-Fi password, and and get online and send some emails and whatnot. But uh. The bag comes down, and uh, this guy's looking, and he grabs a supervisor. So they're, I'm standing there. They're looking at the x-ray, and they're like, are those what I think they are? And he's like, yeah, that looks like it. So they're tearing through my bag, and I'm like, I really have no idea what I would have in there that, that would cause this big of an uproar. And uh, they go through my bag. I have my, I have actually the, I actually have the pants that I wore into Osama bin Laden's bedroom. I still have them. I was wearing them. Well, I wasn't wearing them at the time. They're in my my uh, my suitcase. I'm going to take them down to Texas because we're going to do some shooting and stuff for the new gun company. I'll tell you about that later. And they're going through, and they find uh, four shotgun shells, birdshot. They had been in my pocket in those pants that I wore with uh, with Black Buffalo down in Texas maybe a month or two before at a shooting thing. We're shooting skeet and shooting birds, and I had birdshot in my pants. And again, I'm like, I deserve this. I've been cocky. I should check my pants. And then I, I look at the TSA guys and I said, now, we're all aware that these are useless without a shotgun. Like, you can't, these are fine. They're, this is not a big deal. I'm trying to talk my way out of jail. And I said, yeah, fine, but we need the uh, Fort, Port Authority police to come over here and write a statement. I'm like, super, this is going to be awesome. This is either going to... This is either going to be very, very easy, or I'm going to end up on the New York fucking post again, like I did when I didn't wear a mask when I was on that a flight on an airline that still has me banned. So he comes over, and uh, he's a cop. He's totally cool. I don't know if he recognized me or not, but he he looks at him. He, he looks at my ID and says, "Well, you're from so and so, and legally you can have these." And I'm like, "Well, legally I can, because I'm an American." <laughs> he said, "So if you need to, uh, 
if you want to check them, you can get another bag and check them. And I was like, you, you think I want to go back through that stupid security line, check luggage just so I can put um, four shotgun shells in there? I was like, nah. I said, hey, how about I sign them and just give them to you? He's <laughs> like, get out of here, dude. He was very cool. I was being a smartass. So that's, uh, that is my story as far as traveling um, pre-Memorial Day. And then uh, I flew back from Texas, and then we drove, and then it was on to um, Cape Cod for golf, Memorial Day. So tell me what you guys were up to, and I would love to retort. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be just that, private. What's changed, though? The Internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but we are in an era where everyone is online Everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is that they don't need to tell you who they're selling it to or even get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN... My connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server, and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So... If, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash the operator and get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash the operator. Go to expressvpn.com slash the operator to learn more. So... That's that. That's Memorial Day too. I'm I'm trying to think of a something to do as far as uh, some new bits. I'm active on Twitter quite a bit, and to me, Twitter is Twitter is entertainment. But people take it really, really serious to the point where, like, if you if I tweet something out that other people don't like, it's not even fun to um, check the um, comments all the time. It's it's uh, people just get they're so and they're not even people. They're bots most of the time. Boy, like it's so the thing with John Cusack, he said uh, he said something he just he just talks in facts and people don't like that. And I responded to John Cusack with uh, men have penises, go. And he blocked me. There's the fun in that. Um yeah, anyway, so yeah, they get they, but I, I say stuff on Twitter that um that people start yelling at me and it's just ridiculous. And I and I'm I'm half serious most of the time. But I put out one the other day that said uh your polls don't matter. Your votes don't matter. Democrats cheat our balls off. Until that is acknowledged, sleep well, comrades. Which, you know, <laughs> am I lying? Uh, or, or did Joe Biden actually get more votes than um, Barack Obama? The, yeah. Uh, and, and the whole thing, the point I'm making with that is, well, j- I mean, just looking at some of the math, and I'm not, look, whatever. Um. Some of the math we've had uh, mathematicians say that it was it was mathematically impossible to do what Joe Biden did at three in the morning. You, you couldn't do it by the way the curves go, whatever. But I mean, the, the whole thing is a very very easy fix. It's just uh, show up and have an ID. Seems simple, right? It is simple. 
And then the problem is you get these uh, white liberals who are yelling that it's racist to try to make minorities get IDs. Now, that's kind of racist right there, <laughs> assuming someone lesser than you can't get an ID uh, or can't show up to vote. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like the simplest thing there, there could be. You get an ID, show up, show your ID, vote once. It's, it's the, the ballot harvesting. It's the, I mean, I've seen it myself when I lived in New York, when I had an apartment. They're just handing, they're handing out ballots to people that used to live there. They do it in Boston. They do it in the big cities. Who do you think is running the, uh, the polling places? And these trucks full of ballots, and, and they're, they're just waiting to see how many votes they need. And it's all over. You're, you're, so you're telling me that Georgia and Arizona are blue states. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, it's, and again, I'm just I'm just stating the obvious. And you're not allowed to be obvious because up is down and down is up now. But I'm just saying that. So that's that's one of the things that I've mentioned on Twitter this week. And again, it could be a cocktail and a uh, I want to stir the pot a little bit. Whatever. I I personally, I mean, really, it's not going to be up to me to fix this. It should be up to the uh, the people in power who write the laws to fix it, but they're benefiting from all this bullshit, so they're not going to fix anything. So it's not the person who votes that counts. It's the person who counts the votes. So that's one of the little Twitter who yas I said. I think I'm going to bring up Twitter once in a while, too, because it's fun to talk about. Plus, I, want, I, do, want your, um, I do want your responses, too, because, I mean, other than using the F word and calling people bad names, um, it could be fun. I mean, it, could start, it does start good conversations. I think, anyway. What was the other one I put out? I said something about Russia. Uh, drones are attacking Russia. U.S. taxes are funding this war. Nothing to see here. Enjoy TikTok. And what I meant by that is uh, TikTok is obviously a Chinese espionage platform. And we are funding the war in Ukraine because we don't have a choice because the contracts are not up, the ones that we paid the big contractors to make all the stuff, so we're still going to make them and we need a place to push them. Plus, there's so much corruption in Ukraine that we got to cover it up because we got we have so many people in the beltway that could get burned if anything ever happens so we're just pumping money to Zelensky um, and his wife has a beautiful wardrobe have you seen that wow and uh, th- there's been more there's been more politicians and and uh, a-list celebrities to Ukraine than the southern border because they don't give a shit about the southern border we're, we're getting invaded from uh, all over the world, but they, boy, they sure do go to uh, check out Zelensky's pad and ride around in his Lamborghini. Just what he's got, because Uncle Sugar over here is that you, uh, all your taxes are going over there. To, you know, we're we're paying for uh, climate change in 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 Yemen. Like, our, like what? Like our your your tax dollars are not going to change the weather. I don't know if you know that, but our government sure will do that. And then they have the uh, the kids so stirred up about climate change and how cows farts are uh, ruining the environment and all that nonsense so they can go uh, trash pieces of art or whatever it is they do anyway that's that's some of my uh, my twitter stuff that i think we should bring up because uh, like i said okay drones are attacking russia you're paying for it is what i said and i get responded to with so you want putin to take europe i'm like no that no that's not what i said just i i, I don't i don't i don't appreciate busting my ass to to make money to pay upwards of 50% of what I make so I can throw it over there to Ukraine when I'm not saving the planet in Yemen. You know, it's still it's a waste. Um anyway, I say that stuff too and uh could be a fun little thing. Send some tweets at me. We can uh, we can talk about certain tweets. It'll be fun. 
<clears throat> but another another good one too. I, I'm I'm going to get into a point here because nobody wants to hear me complain. And if I'm complaining right now, I apologize. It's early. Um, but one thing I want to talk about that's happening recently is, if you can believe this, there's an issue on the borders uh, in Afghanistan with their Iranian friends. Over the weekend, um, so they have these checkpoints, and I've been to these places. Um, the checkpoints were actually, you uh, you can talk to your not even enemy or adversary. You can talk to your neighbor, as the Taliban is saying, because the Taliban is claiming they don't want conflict, which you can believe them. <laughs> um, but there was a shootout at one of the checkpoints. I wasn't there, and I don't know the, the range of it, but I'm assuming it was up close because I guess two Iranians and one Afghani uh, border guards were killed in a fight. Now the Iranians are saying that they don't want to do it, and the uh, Taliban are saying they don't want to do it, so they're trying to figure that out. But you're not going to get straight answers from either one of those people, either one of those groups of people, either one of those countries, but they're on the border, and I guess the issue was the Helmand River. It flows out of Afghanistan into eastern Iran, and Iran, believe it or not, has had a pretty bad drought, and I'm surprised we're not pumping them billions. We probably are. We'd give them, here's the way that it would work with Iran. We would, uh, we would uh, give them billions of dollars to help with climate change, and then they would send it right over to Hezbollah so they could attack Israel. That's, that's what would happen. But I guess Afghanistan is, um, uh, they're damming the water for irrigation in their country. And technically you can do that, right? That's, it's the water in your country, you can do it. And uh, it's affecting Iran and they're having a drought and they're all pissed. And obviously someone was yelling about something and then they got in a shootout because that's how you handle shit over there. You shoot each other a lot. <laughs> but that happened and um, I, it got me thinking about the border, uh, the borders in Afghanistan, because I've seen it before. Torkham Gate is a border with Pakistan, and they're a Pakistan's another country over there. <laughs> and <coughs> Pakistan, <clears throat> Afghanistan's landlocked. Okay, so they don't have access to uh, the sea, but Pakistan does in Karachi. It's a port city, so a lot of the stuff there is some shady shit going on over there. But when we were supporting that amazing effort in Afghanistan that we won, wait a minute, we no, we got our asses kicked. Um, they um, at the end, at the end, and it wasn't our fault. I shouldn't have said it that way, but anyway, whatever. Get over it. Um, Port of Karachi, they would drive through the Torkham Gate into Afghanistan, and that's where you get stuff to places like Jalalabad, Afghanistan, and then up to Bagram. And it was to the point where we're actually paying, like the Taliban's on both sides. There's, there's Pakistani Taliban, Afghan Taliban. It's all the same thing, and they don't really recognize borders per se, but we're actually to the point where we're paying them to get our stuff through there, like our gear, and they're taking their, you know, their, their stuff off the top, and it's like the whole... Uh, Grabbing a you know carton of cigarettes because I deserve this for my toll. Paying them off Taliban and then you drive it to uh, different places. So I I, uh, I went to Torkham Gate in July, not July, maybe uh, May of two thousand five, I think. Yeah, May of two thousand five. Went down to the Torkham Gate, and uh, it was awesome because that's I have a picture. I, I should post it. A picture of a monkey. They had uh, monkeys in cages, and you could play with the monkeys, and they would literally sit on. They were kind of cool because they'd sit on your. Uh, on your shoulder and like pick shit out of your hair and eat it. And occasionally if they're a Pakistani monkey, they'd, they'd get into your wallet and take a few, few bucks out of you, a few lira or whatever they have over there, a few space bucks. Um, but, but, uh, we went down there and there were green berets living there on the border and they're like, this is the outpost. This is like, you're in the middle of nowhere, but it's busy, but you're like, this is no man's land. This is the, the wild west. And I'm talking dudes with like, uh, uh, 
bracelets with the spikes, like uh, um, Mad Max type stuff. And the dr- these are the dudes driving the Humvees around, and they're you know meeting with the locals. And Green Berets are awesome because they like learn the dialects and learn the language, and they're trying to train up the locals and all that nonsense. And uh, not nonsense, sorry, but uh, yeah. So Torquem Gate, I, I've, I'm talking about borders there in that part of the world. But if you if you can control the border, you can control a lot of stuff. You can control the food, you can control the people, all that. That stuff, and uh, so we're down there talking again. I got some pictures of that. It's pretty cool to look at Pakistan. Look at the actual uh, the border where it's in between these big valleys, and it, it's just a horrible place where if there's a gunfight, there's, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty bad. Um, but you know, borders there, watching the trade, and and the realization that you're kind of in a different world right there, and you're you're playing by different rules now, and all the all the stuff that you'd heard on, uh, um, like. Before you left your command in the army and you're filling out your climate survey, command climate and and people's feelings, and now next thing you know you're living on the on Mars, <laughs> and it's just it's funny the, the the where the rubber meets the road the the difference between uh, what these officers in the Pentagon think is going on and then what's actually going on. Like if you want to know how the war effort was going, talk to some of those Green Berets at Torquem Gate. Um, that was uh, my first border experience, which was good because no shots were fired we got some blankets i played with monkeys and and had some good chow with the uh, whenever the afghans show up and they they bring a donkey or whatever what are we eating we're eating not a donkey probably a, a goat and then they start digging a hole don't watch but um because you don't know what happens before i don't know what prepping the prepping the prepping the goat is but uh, once they start digging the hole, you can leave, and then they, for some reason they come up with this big plate of meat, and they have bread. We used to call it the Harry Hobbit foot bread. That's why. You, that's one of the reasons you don't want to watch because they would make this bread with their feet. Pretty gross, delicious. Don't watch. And uh, if uh, hairs on the bread is probably from the goat. I don't know. But uh, yeah, um, great food, great dudes hanging out with uh, like old school. Like they had old school Russian guns and shit, and you could shoot them if you wanted to or not, or just uh, you know play with the. Uh, Play with the monkey and eat the goat and the bread. But uh, the borders were not always like that, and I'm going to explain. Looking at the media today, I can't believe the dire headlines we're facing in the world. Everywhere you look, things are falling apart. That's why the smartest investment you can make right now is in your family's food security. The reality is you might not be able to find food when the next disaster strikes. Grocery stores will be empty because roads will be closed and trucks won't be able to make deliveries. When that happens, you need emergency food in full supply. That's why I urge you to grab a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. When you order today, you'll save $200 on each kit you need. Having these kits means your family will stay fed while others stand in food line. Don't delay Order your three-month emergency food kit today and save $200 per kit. It's easy to order. Go to preparewithrob.com. You'll get fast and free shipping to preparewithrob.com. Do this today or you'll regret it tomorrow. Preparewithrob.com. But the borders are not always safe per se. Actually, a lot of places over there are not safe. unless uh, It's almost one of those places where... If you look like you think you know what you're doing, you might be better off than wandering around aimlessly. But uh, there, there was um, – I was uh, the team leader for an outstation in Asadabad, Afghanistan, which is right up the Konar River from Jalalabad. So you go up the Konar River, and that turns into the Pesh River Valley if you go further left. And then you have places like the Korangal Valley, 
and the Shuriak Valley. And uh, there are spots up there that you can really get into bad places. These are um, like valley to valley. There are families that have lived there for whatever, 10,000 years and never met. And uh, we would try to send sources into the Shuriak Valley and they would come out terrified because they ran into some locals and they said, we don't know who you are, and if you come back into this valley, we're going to cut off your head and put it on the stake. This is where um, Turbine 3-3 was shot down, Lone Survivor, where the uh, Navy SEALs put in four snipers. I think that, I think that they put them in the Korengal, and they were ambushed. And I think, um, I think Marcus, Lone Survivor, ended up in the Shuriak. I'm just a scary, scary place. If you haven't seen the movie Lone Survivor, definitely see it. It's an excellent movie. It's a crazy story. Those guys were very, very brave, and um, um, they <clears throat> they ended up all dying. They shot down a helicopter. Um, it, yeah, just uh, it, it, the only issue I have with the movie Lone Survivor because they filmed it in New Mexico is they couldn't find uh, mountains that were steep enough that these dudes were jumping off of to try to get away from the Taliban. And it's a shitty, shitty fucking day, man. I don't. Can you imagine? getting shot at from one end, and the only way is to jump down that cliff. And it's not like you're jumping down the cliff into the water. You're jumping down the cliff onto the rocks. And everything from your gun being banged up to your ankles breaking breaking your back with RPGs firing at you, blowing up. I mean, terrible, terrible, terrible place. Um, I was running an outstation in Asadabad, Afghanistan, which is right on the other end of the mountain here. And, and you've seen like... Uh, um, the movie, I think it's called Korngal, uh, and a book, War, by Sebastian Younger. If you want to read about that place, it's, it's an insane place. Um, people are different there. They're not like us here. They, they <clears throat> These are the people that would say, because when we're in there as Americans trying to instill Jeffersonian uh, democracy that we're going to build you schools, their answer was simple. Why would I need a school when I can have my kids outside learning how to farm, which is a good point. And there's a huge difference between education and schooling. We'll get into that in a later episode, too. Uh, I saw, when we were going after Marcus Luttrell, I saw a girl that reminded me of my daughter, a young girl, and I, because, uh, you know, there are people living in there, and I, I gave her a bottle of water, because she must be thirsty. She opened the bottle of water, dumped it all out so she could play with the plastic. Different place. But I'm running this outstation, and we're looking, speaking of borders, we're looking at the other side of Pakistan. So Asadabad is very close to um, Pakistan. And we would get mortared once in a while. We had one of those stupid balloons. Like, remember that Chinese balloon that flew over the United States? Of course you do, because it flew over the entire United States. We would have balloons sort of like that, but they were to a tether. And uh, Al-Qaeda and uh, the Taliban would shoot RPGs at this balloon that's over our thing. They never hit it. I kind of wish they would. I want to see what happens. But we had that up there, and that's an intel thing or whatever. But um, we're running this. It's an outstation. And the way the outstations work is it's a former Russian base. And I don't know who came up with a brilliant idea to put at the bottom of this valley. Like, you're, you're, you're at the bottom. Ridiculous. But that's what we did. We actually um, ended up giving up Asadabad. This is way before we uh, ran out and retreated from Afghanistan, but we gave up Asadabad and we moved everyone back to Jalalabad. But we, what we do as Americans is we leave everything behind because for some reason someone's decided that um, it's, it's less expensive to leave it there than to try to bring it back. So... Actually, right before the Bin Laden raid, I was the team leader, the senior enlisted advisor for all the outstations. I'm at Jalalabad. I'm just jumping all around. Um, this is a different deployment. This is like months before the Bin Laden raid. And uh, they sent me a picture of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban at our former base in 
Asadabad. And it was a Taliban dude on one of our treadmills, and he couldn't quite figure it out what it was. And uh, so he's, he's over there looking at this. They brought me a picture of this Taliban guy on the treadmill, and they said, O'Neill, what's, uh, what do you make of this? What's this guy doing? And I said, well, based on my experience, this guy's on that treadmill either trying to figure out how to eat it or to fuck it. So that's that. But anyway, so rewind a little bit to um, Asadabad when we still had it. I was the team leader there running this. And we're trying to run sources across the border. We're trying to find bad guys. There's not a lot of bad guys left. Uh, there was like maybe one Al-Qaeda guy left in the Korangal Valley. We ended up rolling him up. That's another story I've already told. Um, but uh, there were two safe houses on the other side of the border, in the Pakistan side. And I was talking with the chief of base, Tom, and he's an old school CIA guy. Uh, he, he was there fighting the Russians with the Mujahideen, so he knows these dudes, and he's, pretty, he's a very serious guy, good guy. Uh, and uh, he, he had some pretty good rules in that uh, house that because we're, we're living under them, and he was a great guy. Um, and we were discussing how to hit these two safe houses because we know down well there's some uh, high-value individuals inside there. So um, how do we get into them? And what we came up with, and here's, a, here's a great thing that I always say that the, uh, the perfect plan only exists in the planning room. Once you leave to do your mission, Murphy shows up and everything's going to change. But the perfect plan was if we can get up there on the border and take fire, if they can shoot at us, and as long as we have positive identification and we can declare troops in contact, we can pursue up to 11 kilometers, 11 clicks inside, which gives us enough time to hit that house and then the house a click away. That's the plan because I want to hit that house. We'll bring some guys, crush that house, crush that house, and uh, you know we can get some air. Uh, worst case, we can bomb them. So... We, uh, we decide we're going to insert. We have a group of Afghans, a small group of Afghans that are working with the CIA, and then we got my guys. So it's me, uh, another two other SEALs, and then two um, Army guys. So we're gonna, the plan is we're going to insert, and we are going to uh, wait, and then they're going to shoot at us, just like they did with, uh, on Lone Survivor on Red Wings, and then we're going to pursue them because you know, we can. So we get up on the border. <clears throat> and uh, we make a hide site. It was, you know, we walked up there at night. It was actually funny. We had, uh, we ran into a guy on the way up who was, had a flashlight, and he's not one of us, but we don't know if he's Al-Qaeda, and we don't know if he's, uh, they had a thing called Frontier Corps, which is you basically give American guns to the locals, and they'll guard the border, which is a horrible idea. But we don't know it's one of them, and we got a CIA dude back there with some Afghans, and they had a mortar team that we left right below us. And uh, we said, hey, so-and-so, there's a, there's a guy up here. And, and the guy asked, well, should we send some warning mortars at him? And I said, you know, it doesn't really work that way. I don't think we send warning mortars. <laughs> like, a warning shot, potentially, if he has a gun. We can't even really see this guy. No warning mortars, thank you. That was like, yeah. We, we actually made, made a hide site, and we were singing a song about the Army. Is it high? Is it low? Where the hell did that one go? Warning mortars. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we get to our hide site right up. So we, we picked a high ground. I'm talking right on the border. Set up a hide site. Now we're going to lay here, wait for the guards that we know. Like we we're just talking about the guards with the uh, uh, the Iranians and the and the and the Taliban shooting it up. Because um, you do see each other. You know each other. They call them mirrors. And so we're up there. We make a hide site. The sun's coming up. We can see the dudes. It's like a little checkpoint. Like they're having tea. And I lean over, and there's a. I'm on top of a nest of. Um, Pit vipers, which is great because they're babies, which means they don't, they'll, yeah, they'll kill you. So we're like, yeah, we got to move a little bit. So we get up and move. And because we had to move away from these snakes, we get in another spot. They see us and they start walking up to us. These uh, border guards, they're packies. We don't know if they're Taliban. We don't know what the hell they are. 
and they start yelling at us in their language. And we did have a couple Pakis with us, uh, a couple Afghanis with us, so we tell them to yell back at them. And uh, they said, come down here and have tea. And I'm like, okay, you can go have tea. I'm staying here. But the thing is, we're all wearing tiger stripe, the deserts, so because we don't want them to know we're Americans, and they don't know we're Americans. So they go down there, have a little tea. They come back up, and, and our Afghan guy said, yeah, they just uh, they said if, if al-Qaeda comes, we'll protect each other. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that's what's going to happen. But they got identification on each other, so now these border guards, they start making phone calls. And uh, another truck shows up full of dudes, and these guys are not in uniform. They're in the man jammies. And then another truck shows up. And then another truck. And then one more truck. And there's a bunch of dudes right there. We do have the high ground, but there's only like seven of us. And it's noon. So it's like, you know what? We probably should um, get out of here. Because I, I, I'm the ground force commander. And I'm like, well, if we, um, if we leave right now and run, they might not see us. If we fight it out, even though we have the high ground, it's not going to be good. I got Tony with me. He's my radio guy. And he's never called for, never called for fire ever. He's never been to combat. And then Jesse's the other SEAL that's never been to combat either. They're not SEAL Team 6 guys. They're augments. But one's a medic. One is a, um, the air guy. We don't have any uh, JTACs. Uh, no, I'm sorry. CCT. We don't have any combat controllers. Combat controller is a different animal. Combat controller in the Air Force is the most deadly the most lethal person on the, on the battlefield. They can coordinate everything, and, and they don't get any praise. We will talk about them eventually. But I decide since it's noon, we're going to leave. So we're going to run down the hill. We've got to catch that mortar team, and then we're going to hopefully call TF-160, the ones that flew us in here, because they, they can do it. <clears throat> so we run down the hill, and I'm with my, uh, one of my Afghan guys, and he said uh, the first words I ever heard him say in English, he looks up the hill and he started screaming, bad guys, bad guys. And that's when the whole mountain erupted. And they're shooting everything they have at us. So these dudes saw us leave. They have the high ground. And I'm watching dudes in their brown pajamas. Uh, we're, we're in the bottom of a valley. I'm watching them. Uh, they're trying to flank us on two sides. And that's one of the scariest things I've ever seen, is watching how fast those dudes can run while other guys are they're like they're shooting and maneuvering. they got a PKM down, a belt-fed machine gun, and one guy's running. It's like these guys have fought. They're trained. And this is bad. So... Um, uh, I know that right now I realize that we need to get air support because our plan was to get air support. And I'm about, I mean, we've got like RPGs flying over our heads, air bursting. Um, it's pretty scary. It's very, very loud. Combat is permanent and it's fast. And uh, you can eat one of these bullets. A bullet needs to be right once. And so, you know, it's scary. So I know, I know I need to get to Tony. He's my radio guy. So we used to wear our gear in lines, uh, lines of gear, first line, second line, third line. And it's in order. Your first line gear is your most important. It's what's in, it's on your belt, it's in your pockets, it's closest to your body. The most important shit you have. An extra mag and some dip. Uh, second line gear is your second most important stuff. Um, and that'll be more mags and grenades if you got them. Water. Third line gear is your least important shit. It's in a backpack, right? So stuff that you can ditch right away. And that will be... Sleeping bag, ground pad, extra socks, foot powder, shit like that. So I have been told, never heard of anyone doing it, that you can start ditching your gear if you need to run. So I need to get to Tony, who's about 100 yards away. So I ditch my third line gear, my rucksack's laying right there, and I run across to Tony, and I lay down next to him. And I'm trying to coordinate. He knows what he's doing, sort of. I sort of know what I'm doing, but it's scary as shit. And I, I look up to um, that group that they talked to had made what I refer to as a flash checkpoint. 
So they're right there, and I said, all right, Tony, here's the deal. First pass, I want you to hit that checkpoint. And he goes, well, I can't. We don't have any, we don't have any air support. So that's bad. We don't have any air. I guess something else happened somewhere, and we couldn't get any birds from Bogram. So now we're laying there, and you can't really get up and run. I remember um, the, the fire was so thick, the, the, the immense um, machine gun fire um, out of a PKM, a belt-fed machine gun, and then you got AKs. Uh, and just trying to lay as low as you can behind rocks and knowing this could end badly. And then these RPGs are hitting us, and they're like air bursting above us to the point where I turn around and look to see if my legs were still there. And it's so loud. Everyone's okay. And we're this went on for an hour. We're getting, and they're getting closer to us. They're surrounding us. And we really can't do anything about it because of the suppressive fire. You know, I mean, I know everybody says that just be a man and stand up. No, no. You need to take cover and take a shot if you can get it. They were getting so close that there was a dude. He really concerned me because he got, I think, within 20 yards, which is from here to the wall, and he's shooting a PKM, which is concerning, but the thing that got me is he looked like me, right? So he's a redhead dude with a beard, and he's white, but he's screaming, God is great in Arabic. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And I'm looking at this dude, I'm like, that is a Chechen. And um, our day just got more interesting because Chechens are serious. So, and the sun is right above me. I'm like, this day is going to end one of two ways. We're going to die horribly or we're going to win. So this is all going on. It's, it's, they're so close. Allahu Akbar. And it's, I mean, getting shot at, it kind of makes this, the hairs on your neck stand up. When you can hear them yelling at you as they're trying to murder you, it, it's a serious, serious day. So this is all going on, whatever. And so we've been out in the field. This is important for a number of days. And Tony, he, he, he under fire, he looks at me and he goes, uh, I got one. I got a bird. And I said, awesome. Hit that checkpoint. And he said, I can't. The batteries in my radio just died. Now, I'm not a big believer in micromanaging but I thought now would be a proper time to do so. And I said, change the fucking batteries. He said, I can't. I'm not carrying the spares. Remember, you are. Shit, they're in that backpack that I dropped over there. So now it's something, I got to get them. I don't have a choice. I think I gave Tony my gun and said something like, don't tell my mom I did this. So I stood up and I started running. I got to get to that backpack, and I can hear that guy shooting at me, still yelling, Allahu Akbar. And I'm at the point, like, I get it. I, I know. God is great. Super. Get over there. Um, there's bullet holes in the rucksack. I'm taking it down. Um, on, on, you know, I'm opening it. I reach into the, um, into the backpack. Naturally, they're at the bottom. So I pick them out. I run back. Cannot believe I haven't been hit. <clears throat> I'm running back to Tony, and I fling them to him, and I said, uh, you're changing them. And uh, I reached down and grabbed some dip. I, I, I put a, a dip in, and, and one of the Army guys behind me, Seth, was laughing, and he goes, did you just put in a new dip? <laughs> I said, no, I just freshened up the old one. And uh, so Tony fixes him up. He got the radio going. He's talking to uh, he's talking to the thing, and he goes, all right, bombs away. Two minutes out. And I'm looking at Tony. I'm like, two minutes out what did you the first jet you got was the space shuttle what the hell's up there and he goes uh it's bones 2-2 and he's a, a b1 bomber and he just dropped three 2000 pound j downs right on top of those guys so 
stand by. <laughs> so I don't think we have two minutes left to wait. We're laying there. This guy's getting really, really close. And uh, I hope you never have to experience this, but when those bombs went supersonic over our head, they actually sounded like bacon. And I'm laying there thinking, God, I love bacon. And the whole, the whole hillside lights up. He crossed that hillside <clears throat> to the point where the guy yelling Allahu Akbar actually stood up and turned around, and I got my first few shots off at him, and I yelled something about God uh, back at him, and he, so he's no longer with us. And now they're leaving, and we're watching dudes run away because they realize these are Americans. We got to get the hell out because they're, they're in Afghanistan, and they got to leave. And so uh, he kept hitting with uh, bones until bones went bingo, and then that's when the uh, F-16 showed up, and his call sign was Dude12. And we're calling him in just the way you call guys in. You know, you got to, you got to, here's the, can you see the peak with the snow? Yes. Can you see the south of us, the intersection river? Yes. Okay. That's one unit of measure. Please take two units of measure, 097 magnetic for my, all that stuff. And then he's hitting them. And uh, it's just, um, I'm picturing this kick ass, good looking 27 year old dude flying that F 16, dropping bombs in Pakistan at this point. Thinking, and I've said this before, but thinking, Man, I see why women find you attractive. So we ended up bombing Pakistan that day um, for four hours, which is a long time to be bombing a sovereign nation. But I think we were justified because we were in contact and we had, had uh, um, positive identification. So we finally got it done. We finished this gunfight. They're gone. And I don't know how many guys they killed. Uh, Air Force kicks ass. I don't, you've probably heard me make jokes about the Air Force. When you need them and they're there, I'll tell you what. Best friends in the world. So they finally had enough room to send in some, uh, some helos to get us. And, and uh, helos came in, sat down. I got on the starboard side of a Black Hawk, a 60, and we're leaving, the right side. And as we're leaving and we take off, now I can see the, I can see the battlefield for the first time as opposed to laying behind a rock. And it's epic. And it's smoldering. And it's, it's, it's on fire. And I'm thinking to myself, man... We just bombed Pakistan for a long time, and that is an international incident, and I'm in charge. I'm probably going to hear about this. And I was right, because we flew back to um, Asadabad, and I guess uh, the general had heard, I'm not going to say which one, but he was there to watch us land. I'm, uh, uh, so I'm the ground force commander. He wants to talk to me. I was going to be dead four hours ago. Right now, I'm gonna live, and I'm happy. And we got whiskey inside that place, man. So I'm walking up to the general, and uh, very stern faced, he goes, "O'Neill, you realize we're not at war with Pakistan, right?" And I said, "Yeah, but we were today, and you should have." <clears throat> yes, sir. And he said, "Yeah, good. You're uh, probably either gonna get a silver star for this, or you're going to Leavenworth." So we had to wait an hour for that bomb. The first bomb to hit, that was a long time. I had to wait like three or four weeks to figure out I wasn't going to Leavenworth for the rest of my life, which was nice because they actually, we didn't know this, but there was a drone flying overhead. And this, this footage is actually on YouTube. You can find it. It was, um, I want to say it was 2008 on the border. You, can, you do border bombing 2008. That's my dumb ass running around under explosions. But um, yeah, they, the, the, um, the headlines too, you can find these on the internet. It says, unprovoked attack kills 11 Pakistani martyrs or whatever, and which proves there were Pakistani sh soldiers shooting at us and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Um, but 
<clears throat> as they were uh, interrogating or there was a hearing, they were talking to Pakistan and how it was unprovoked and we started this fight. They, they, the Pakistanis didn't know that we had actually footage and you could see where they ambushed us and we were justified. And I, I was awarded them. Um, I was awarded my first silver star and uh, I'm not in Leavenworth. So that's a good thing. A lot of times we will talk about firearms on this show and it's always uh, colorful to see what people have because uh, in the gun industry, everyone has their favorite weapon and they know they're right. Um, I have been talking about F1 firearms. I need to tell you about this. They, uh, I went down there to Houston to the, the company. They, had, they, just, uh, they were just purchased and are now uh, called Watchtower Firearms. you got to check them out, too. The uh, anodized color, the skeletonized technology of these guns. I went down there to the factory and I watched them. Uh, they would take these blocks of aluminum, aluminum and I watched them uh, actually use machines to, to cut down everything to the, um, like the uppers, the lowers, the bolts, the... Uh, every, it was awesome. I, I watched them. I'm actually partnering with them. Um, Watchtower firearms are badass. The colors are kick-ass. These are the best weapons I've ever seen. They're the the um, mechanics down there, the machinists, if you will, that are making the guns take pride in their work, and it's uh, they're really really good. Right out of the box, they're like they measure them. They some of these measurements are down to um, the width of a hair, a human hair. Uh, they 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 measure them with instruments and they actually can feel for them if they're uh, they don't get to specs they uh they kick them out but watchtower firearms is incredible uh the pistols five and a half eight and a half um all the kind of the cool kind of um colors and stuff the skeletonized technology which only they have I, i'm a big fan of too it lines it up and there's uh law enforcement models military models ar-15s ar-10s nine mil check out watchtower firearms you're going to be happy but that is proof that you need to be careful what you wish for um running to the sound of the guns can be good but it can also be bad and get you in kind of a pickle too we probably made some bad decisions to get there we probably made some bad decisions leaving there but uh yeah i mean stay with it you never know what could happen anything can happen if you just if you'd uh if you don't just roll over and die, which would have been very, very easy there. And so, and with some of those guys too that you're dealing with in that part of the world, a lot, of, especially Chechens, you don't, you don't want to roll over. Uh, you're gonna have to fight to the death. And it's, it's even one of those horrible conversations that you have with people. If you run into certain a certain level of a jihadi, you, we've actually had this conversation where you might just want to save one bullet because you might need it for yourself because that's going to be better than whatever they're going to plan to do to you. But that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, I brought that up because of the border thing today with, uh, not today, this week with uh, the Iranians and the um, Taliban. Borders are funny. People are funny. People act up. Add guns and religion. Shit, man. You can have a party. <laughs> so, so that's that. But um, you never know what can happen if you can just uh, keep your head down and keep moving forward. You're never out of the fight.